may be some sitting here under the sound of my voice this morning thinking, I've made such a mess of my life that I don't think I can ever recover. Even with God's help, I don't think I can ever recover. But there's just a few questions that I want to give you here this morning before we leave that I think will help you to just kind of take stock in where you are right now, but also to realize that it's never too late. It's never too late for you to recover. It's never too late for you to be restored. And that from this day forward, your life can change and never be the same again. This morning, I'm going to conclude this series that we've been in entitled From This Day Forward. And today's message is entitled Never Too Late. Never too late. Now let me tell you who this message is for this morning. I understand that this message is not for everybody. But this message is for some people in this room here today who have made a hot mess out of your life. And you feel like that you've made such a mess out of your life that you will never recover from that mess. That maybe you have crossed the line of the point of no return and that there's no way you could ever get back to God. But I've got some good news for you this morning. It is never too late. It is never too late. As long as there is breath in your body and you're breathing and you are alive. I want everybody to do something with me. I want you to put your hand up in front of your mouth like this and then I want you just to just kind of blow on it. You know what that means? That means you're alive. You're alive. If you're breathing this morning, you are alive. And if you're alive, then it is never too late for God to do something new in your life. Amen. And I want us to look this morning at the story of a man in Scripture by the name of Samson. Because if anybody made a hot mess out of their life, Samson made a hot mess out of his life. Somebody say amen if you know who Samson is. And we find Samson's story in the book of Judges. We're going to begin in Judges chapter 13. So if you want to go with me to Judges 13 this morning. And then we're going to bounce from Judges 13 over to Judges chapter 16. But, but Samson comes on the scene at a time that is going to seem very familiar to many of us here in this room today. Because listen to what the scripture says. The scripture says in Judges 13 beginning at verse 1 that again, everybody say again. It says again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. I think that pretty much sums up the history of the Israelites. They would do evil in the eyes of the Lord and God would allow them to suffer because of the choices that they had made, even go into captivity because of the choices that they had made. And once they would get into that place of captivity and that place of oppression, they would cry out to God. God would hear their cry and God would deliver them again and again and again. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you here this morning, that sounds like your life? <laughs> Man, I did it again, failed again, did everything I could possibly 
do, but still I failed again. And, and that's, that's the history of the nation of Israel. When we come here to Judges chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now listen, this is the absolute worst thing that could happen to the Israelites because the Philistines are the enemy that they hate the most. It's the enemy in their life that just will not disappear, just will not go away. Matter of fact, when I think about the Philistines, I think about the battle sometimes that we have with our flesh. That just when we think that we have gotten our flesh whipped, all of the sudden it rises up again and attempts to defeat us in our journey with the Lord. And when we talk about the Philistines, you, you understand the Philistines, these, these were that group of people that one day David is taking food and supplies to his brothers who are down on the battlefield. And when he gets down to the battlefield, he finds that there's a line that's been drawn. And on one side are the Israelites and on the other side are the Philistines. And the Philistines have this huge giant by the name of Goliath. And when David sees that the Philistines and especially Goliath are taunting the armies of God, it's more than he can take. And when he sees that nobody else will step up and fight Goliath, he goes to the king and he says, if they won't fight him, I'll fight him. And to make a long story short, David goes out with just five smooth stones, but he only needs one. He took five because evidently Goliath had four brothers just in case the brothers got involved. He would have the ammunition that he needed for that. But he takes Goliath down, chops off the head of Goliath. And the Bible says that that day they defeated, the nation of Israel defeated the Philistines. But that would not be their last battle or their last fight with the Philistines. And how many of you know that just because you won a battle against your flesh yesterday doesn't mean that your flesh won't try to rise up against you and fight you again today? Amen. Amen. And just like with the Philistines, the Philistines had their Goliath. How many of you know the flesh has its Goliath? It's different for a number of different people. For some people, it may be drugs. For some of people, it may be sexual lust. For some people, it may be codependency. For some people, it may be alcohol. But everybody in their flesh, they have a Goliath that at some point in time is going to have to be dealt with and conquered in their life. Now, to just show you how oppressive this is to the Philistines, imagine this. How many Alabama fans do we have in the house here this morning, Crimson Tide fans? I kind of figured it was going to be an overwhelming number. So let, let's just say that you as an Alabama fan really messed up your life and that the punishment for you was that you were going to have to pull and cheer for the Auburn Tigers for the next 40 years. <laughs> that for the next 40 years, you're going to have to move to Auburn. Oh, I know. Now you're getting the picture. You got to move to Auburn. You've got to wear a Tiger costume. Every Saturday, you've got to go to, or every Saturday during football season, you've got to go to Jordan-Hare Stadium, and for the next 40 years on Saturday, you've got to yell, War Eagle! And for some of us, that's not hard to do. Just the opposite would be tough for us. But to just give you a little bit of an understanding, that's how these Israelites felt 
when they are turned over, delivered into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. But like they would normally do when they got into that situation, they would cry out to God and God would deliver them. And most of the time when God would deliver them, he would raise up a man or a woman and anoint them to be the one who would lead his people out of their captivity, out of their bondage. So we go on to the next passage of scripture and it says that a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Somebody in this room here today that's been trying to get pregnant, you need to know it's never too late for God to do a work in your womb. Look at Abraham and Sarah. Look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. And now we see it here in this particular occasion with Manoah and his wife. We don't know how old they were, but they were on up in years. But even at this season of their life, God is able to bless them with a child. Look at your neighbor and say, it's never too late. I know what some of you what ladies are doing. You're looking at your husband saying, oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. And then in verse 4, notice what it says. It says, now see to it. He tells them that they're going to have a baby. And he says, now see to it that you drink no wine or fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. Now, what is a Nazarite? It just simply means somebody who is completely sold out to God. Somebody who is dedicated, somebody who is consecrated, somebody who has been set apart, somebody who is holy, somebody who has decided, I'm going to give God everything I have and I'm going to follow him with everything in me. That's a Nazarite. But in the Old Testament, there were three characteristics of Nazarites. That when you took a Nazarite vow, number one, you were saying that I'll never put a razor to my head. Now, I didn't grow up in that kind of church. Boys were supposed to keep their hair cut short. Maybe that's why we lacked strength growing up. It's because we couldn't have long hair as men growing up in the church. But one of the characteristics of a Nazarite was a razor was to never touch their head. They were not to cut their hair. The second thing is that they were never to drink any kind of alcohol. But not only that, the Bible went on to say not only were they not supposed to drink alcohol, they were not even supposed to touch a grape or the skin of a grape or the seed of a grape as a Nazarite vow. And, and so you had these Nazarite vows and one of the others was that, that, that you could not touch anything that was dead or anything that was unclean. And that, that was a Nazarite vow, the characteristics of a Nazarite vow. And, and so it says that he is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And then we pick up the story in verse 24 where it says that the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And I love verse 25. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Oh, I tell you, when the Spirit of the Lord would come upon Samson, he would do some mighty exploits. For example, on one occasion, when the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him, he by himself killed 30 men. Now, he didn't murder 30 men. He killed 30 men in battle to protect the Israelites. Another time, we see that Samson, with his bare hands, killed a lion. 
Another time we see that Samson took and caught 300 foxes. Now get this. He caught 300 foxes and he tied their tails together in pairs. And as he was tying their tails together, he put a torch in the knot and he lit the torch. And then he chased those foxes through the fields of the Philistines, burning all of their crops. And he did that because somebody did something terrible to his family. On another occasion, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, he took the jawbone of a donkey and killed 1,000 Philistines single-handedly. So yes, when the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him, man, when the Spirit of God would stir him, he would do some mighty exploits. But the problem is, Samson had something internal going on in his life. And Samson's Goliath, now listen, when you talk to the Philistines, they will tell you that Samson was to them what Goliath was to the Israelites. They didn't like Samson. They knew how powerful, they knew how strong Samson was. But Samson had a struggle. And the struggle that Samson had all of his life was a struggle with women. He struggled with women. And so when we go to Judges chapter 16, verse 1, I want you to look at what the scripture says. It says, one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. This is how bad things have gotten in Samson's life. I mean, you think, how in the world could a man have such an anointing, have such power in his life that he single-handedly can kill 30 men, that he can kill a, a, a lion by himself, that he can catch and tie the tails of 300 foxes, that he, with the jawbone of a donkey, can slay a 1,000 Philistines, then why can he be so weak in this area of his life? Because every person has a giant. And this was his giant that he was trying to deal with in his life. And it says, one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute, and he went in to spend the night with her. And so the Philistines think, man, this is our chance. This is our chance to take him out. This is our chance to take him down. And the scripture says that the people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night saying, at dawn, we're going to kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now listen, here he is in with that prostitute, evidently knowing that there are some Philistines waiting to try and kill him, but he doesn't wait until the next morning to get up and leave. He gets up in the middle of the night, and oh, by the way, on his way out of town, he just happens to grab the big iron gates and the big iron posts that weigh thousands of pounds. He rips them out of the ground and carries them up to the top of the hill with him as if to say to those Philistines, you don't want none of this. You, you don't want none of this. I'm a powerful man. I'm a powerful person. So you don't want none of this. And then we pick up his story as we go to verse 4. It says that sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Listen to me this morning. Young people, listen to me. Be careful who you fall in love with. 
Because the emotion of love is so strong, it can cause your judgment to be skewed. So you've got to be very, very careful who you fall in love with because of how that emotion can skew your judgment. And that's the case here with Samson. Samson is somewhere that he should have never been in the first place. Where is he? He is in the valley of Sorek. Do you know what the valley of Sorek is? The valley of Sorek is an in-between place. It sits right in the middle between Israel and the Philistines. On one side are the Philistines, and on the other side are the Philistine are, are, are the Israelites. And where is Samson? He's in the valley of Sorek. He is in the place of compromise. He is straddling the fence, trying to have the best of both worlds. And it says that in the valley of Sorek is where he fell in love with a woman by the name of Delilah. Oh, you got to watch out for Delilah. Do you know what Delilah's name means? Her name means low, but her name also means hanging. Low and hanging. In other words, it's talking about fruit that is low and hanging on the tree that is easy to get to and pick. So when you think about Delilah, here's what you need to know about Delilah. She was easy. She was easy. And the enemy, knowing what Samson's struggle was, he put that fruit in a low-hanging place where Samson would have easy access to this easy woman by the name of Delilah. And notice what happens now as a result of their relationship. It says that the rulers of the Philistines went to Delilah and said, see if you can lure him. Isn't that just like the enemy? Just like the devil trying to lure you into his trap. And it says, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Now we're going to find out just how much Delilah really loves Samson because the Philistines tell her each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. I don't know how many rulers of Philistine there were, but every one of them said, if you'll do this for us, if you'll find out the secret of his strength, if you'll do it, then we're going to give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Well, evidently, she loved money more than she loved Samson because she went for it. And so she then begins her strategy of trying to get the secret from Samson as to where his strength lies. And so here she goes. She, she goes into him, of course, you know, she's going to be all seductive and try to lure him in. And the first time that she does it, he says to her, well, if you will tie me with seven bowstrings, then I will become as weak as anyone else. Actually, the translation says, I will become as weak as a kitten. That was the first time that she tried to lure him in. The second time she tried to lure him in, he said, well, if you'll just tie me up with new ropes, that's the secret of my strength. I'll not be able to break those ropes. And then the third time, get this, he said this to her. He said, if you will just braid my hair into seven braids and then put it in the weave or, or, or weave it into the weaver's loom. You see, the weave is not a new hairstyle. It's not a, a new do. Samson thought about it a long time ago. He said, braid my hair into seven braids and weave it into a weaver's loom. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds painful to me. And not only that, is anybody besides me thinking that Samson had to be a really heavy sleeper? 
Because the Bible says this. The Bible says that the first time she came to him and he told her to tie me up with the bowstrings, that that night the Philistines came in and they tied him up with the bowstrings and Samson didn't even apparently know what was going on. Maybe he was drunk. I don't know. Passed out. I don't know. But he didn't recognize what had happened until he got up the next morning and the Bible said that he just shook himself free. Same thing when they tied him with the new rope. He got up the next morning, just broke it, and set himself free. Same thing with the braided hair, with the weave. Same thing. He got up the next morning, shook himself, and his strength, his power was still there. But then notice how Delilah responds to his deception. Notice what she says. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you if you will not confide in me? Oh, if you only loved me, you would tell me. If you only loved me, you would show me you love me. If you would only, if you really love me, then you would give me what I'm asking for. Notice, she said, how can you say I love you when you won't even confide in me? This is the third time that you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And then look at verse 16. You're going to love this. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. How many of you know that nothing can wear you out faster than a nagging spouse? I know you can't say amen right now. I know you can't, but I know you want to. You really do. But she just kept nagging him and nagging him and nagging him and nagging him and nagging him. And finally, he said, okay, can't take this anymore. And then notice what happens in verse 17. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. And that night he went to sleep and they came in and they shaved his head and he got up the next morning. The Bible says that Samson shook himself like he had done in the past, but this time the strength and the power and the presence of the Lord had departed from him. And so here this man of God, this anointed man of God whom the power of the Holy Spirit would stir up and he has made a hot mess of his life. And maybe there's some of you sitting in here this morning, there's definitely some of you who have been there that have recovered from it, but there may be some sitting here under the sound of my voice this morning thinking, I've made such a mess of my life that I don't think I can ever recover. Even with God's help, I don't think I can ever recover, but there's just a few questions that I want to give you here this morning before we leave that I think will help you to just kind of take stock in where you are right now, but also to realize that it's never too late. It's never too late for you to recover. It's never too late for you to be restored. And that from this day forward, your life can change and never be the same again. I believe that or I would not be up here preaching it. And here's the first question. It relates to God's power. And when it comes to God's power, we ask ourselves, in me or through me? Now, let me, let me explain to you what I mean by that. Most men and women that I have seen fall from grace 
were more preoccupied with what God was doing through them than what God was doing and wanted to do in them. And if we're not careful like Samson so many times, we can be so focused on the external power, the external things that we're seeing God do, and never recognize that the biggest struggle that we have in our life, the struggle that can take us down, the struggle that can destroy us, the struggle that can destroy our marriage, the struggle that can destroy our families, the struggle that can destroy our bodies, the struggle that can destroy our, 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 our physical well-being, our finances, that that struggle is an internal struggle. And we need to be more concerned. Yes, I said that. That we need to be more concerned and we need to be more before God saying, God, I want your power to work in me. In order that I can be the person that you have called me to be. Because I can tell you, when you stand before God on the day of judgment, he's going to be so much more interested in the person that you have become than he is the things that you have accomplished. Somebody needs to just thank God right there for just a moment. You know what Paul told us in the book of Ephesians, and this passage is not on the screen, but Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. But notice, here's how he does it. According to the power that works in us. So before I get so caught up with wanting God to do mighty things through me, I've got to lay myself before God and say, God, I want your power to work in me and make me into the man you've called me to be. Make me into the husband that you've called me to be. Make me into the father that you have called me to be. Make me into the leader in my community that you have called me to be. So when it comes to God's power in me or through me, and I've seen ministries tumble because all they were concerned about was what was happening for them, maybe even through them. But they didn't take the time to let Holy Spirit work in them. Here's the second thing. When it comes to sin, should I hold out? Or should I get out? I think most of us know what the answer to that is. But when it comes to sin, now, now think about Samson here in this. Because Samson had taken a Nazarite vow. One of the things that he had vowed as a Nazarite was that he would never drink any alcohol. And not only that, but he understood that not only could he not drink the alcohol, he couldn't touch the grape or the skin of the grape or the seed of a grape. But yet when you read about Samson one day, he's going somewhere and to take a shortcut, guess what direction he goes? He goes through a vineyard. Let me tell you the thing that will take you down faster than anything and make a hot mess out of your life is pride. It's when you get to the place to where you think, well, I can... Get close. I can play with fire, but not be burned. And Samson, 
What does he do? He walks through a vineyard. Not only that, another one of the, the, the Nazarite vows that he would have to take was not to cut anything unclean. One day he's walking down the road, he sees a dead lion. Dead carcasses are unclean things, but he notices in the shell, in the hollow place of that lion, he notices that there is a beehive and that bees have made honey, and he's hungry. And he's thinking, man, I sure would like to have me some honey. How many of you have ever played the old game Operation? You know, where you got these little tweezers, and you're trying to remove organs and things out of this little skeleton without hitting the sides and setting the buzzer off? Well, that's what Samson decided to do that day. He thinks, I can reach in here, and I can get me some of this honey without touching that carcass, without touching that unclean thing. And then the other characteristic of a Nazarite was that you were not to cut your hair, not to put a razor to your head. And did you notice that when he was toying around with Delilah, that the third thing he said was, if you braid my hair in seven braids and weave it in the weaver's loom. So what is he doing? He's getting closer and closer to breaking the vow, thinking, I got this. I can get close without giving in. I can play with fire without being burned. But listen to me this morning. The Bible says that when you and I are tempted, that God will always make a way of escape for us out of the temptation. It's not about holding out. It's about getting out. Somebody say amen. Amen. So stop thinking, well, I can go to Hooters just for the wings. Uh Uh-uh. Not if that's your giant. Not if that. Listen to me. I'm being serious this morning. You can't think that you can walk into a bar and have a seat if alcohol is your struggle. It's not about holding out. It's not about how close can I get without giving in. It's not about how close to the fire can I get without being burned. No, it's not about holding out. It's about getting out. Come on, somebody. Help me this morning. You don't allow yourself to be put into those compromising situations. Samson should have never been in the valley of Sorek to begin with. He should have never been in that place of compromise to begin with. He should have never been at that demarcation line that on one side are the Israelites and on the other side are the Philistines. He should have never been there. And because he was where he should not have been, he got hooked up with a woman that he never should have gotten hooked up with. And that woman discovered the secret of his strength and helped to destroy his life. It's like a snowball effect. See, you've got to understand, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to be humble. And you've always got to be saying, if not for the grace of God, if not for the power of God, I'll never overcome this struggle. It's humility that says, no, I don't have this. There are certain places I can't go. There are certain things I can't look at. There are certain people I can't hang out with. Hold out or get out. Look at your neighbor and say, get out. Now, don't don't tell him, get out. (laughs) Literally, you know what I mean. And then here's the last thing. After a fall, I love this. I love this. After a fall, you've got to decide something. Are you going to be a laughing stock? Or are you going to be a champion? 
Because think, think about Samson again. I'm about to wrap this up, but, but think about Samson again. Here's what the Bible says in Judges 16, verse 23. It says, now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate. Man, every time I see Dagon's name in Scripture, I can't get that image out of my mind that when the, the, the Israelites went into Philistine, or, or when the Philistines took uh, the ark captive and they took it back to the temple of God, their God, and they put the Ark of the Covenant in the house, the, the, the temple of Dagon. And so you've got the Ark of the Covenant that represents the presence of God. And then you've got Dagon that represents that, their God. They, they take the Ark of the Covenant, the Philistines do, and they put it in the temple with Dagon. And when they come back the next morning, Dagon has fallen over face first toward the Ark of the Covenant. That's awesome. Now, I don't know about you, but they come in the next morning. And what they have to do, they had to pick their God back up. I don't want a God that I'm having to pick up. I got a God that picks me up. So what they do, they picked him up, left, come back the next day. And when they come back the next day, he's fallen over again. And his arms and legs have broken off. And you know what they had to do? They had to put their God back together again. Aren't you glad that you don't have to put your God together, but God is a God who puts our lives together. Amen. And so they're celebrating Dagon and they're saying, hey, he's the one that delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And while they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. You see, he has gone from being a mighty man of God to a laughingstock. They've already taken him. They've bound him. They've gouged out both of his eyes. He's grinding meal at a grind for the Philistines. He's in prison. And every now and then to entertain the people, they would bring him out in front of the crowd to, to entertain for them so that they could laugh at him. Is there anybody in this room here today that knows what it's like to be laughed at because you made a mess of your life? A laughing stock because of what you've done. A laughing stock. And maybe it's not even because of something that you did. Maybe it's because of something, some, something that someone close to you did. A spouse did or a kid did or, or something of that nature. And now you feel like you've become the laughing stock of the church. Or you've become the laughing stock of the community. Or you've become the laughing stock of the place where you work. And that's what's happened here to Samson. He has become a laughing stock. But how many of you know that God's story always has a butt to it. <laughs> you know that? And look at what happens here in Judges 16 and 22. But the hair on Samson's head began to grow again after it had been shaved. I love that passage of scripture right there because that hair represents the strength of God. That hair represents the power of God. And it says that his hair began to grow again. Oh, look at somebody and say, get ready for a comeback. Well, because Samson's about to experience a comeback because of the power of God, the love of God, the grace of God. I want you to see a passage of Scripture in Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Somebody needs this passage of Scripture this morning. Here's what he said. He said, do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I just come by here this morning to tell somebody that you may have fallen, but you will get up. Amen. 
You may have made a hot mess out of your life and the enemy might be gloating over you and even folks that you thought were your brothers and sisters and your friends might be gloating over you. But you need to stand up this morning and you need to declare to the enemy, hey, don't gloat over me. Though I've fallen, I'm going to rise again. And though I sit in darkness, the Lord is going to be my light. Hallelujah. Oh yes, it's never too late. It is never too late. <laughs> but, but, but look, I got to get through this. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, here's what, here's what Paul said. He said, you were, talking about us, you were, thank God we were, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. Oh, get ready for this. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Let me tell you who gets the last laugh. God gets the last laugh. The people of God gets the last laugh because God has already made a public spectacle of the enemy. Amen. Oh, somebody ought to shout here this morning. <laughs> yes, God and the people of God get the last laugh. Because the enemy that tried to take you out, God is taking him out. Oh, hallelujah. But notice it goes on in Judges 16 and 28. It says, then Samson prayed to the Lord. And he said, sovereign Lord. And I want the music team to go ahead and get ready to come. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord. Look at this. Remember me. Anybody ever been there before after you'd made a hot mess of your life? And you went to God, and first of all, you feel like you've been forgotten, and you're like, God, remember me? But not only that, we need to go to God and say, God, remember me? You called me. You anointed me. You had a great plan. You had a great purpose for my life. So, God, I pray that this hot mess that I've made of my life will not keep you from remembering who I am and what you originally intended and called me to do. What he's doing here is he's praying a prayer of repentance. And the scripture goes on and says, Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me. Please God, strengthen me just once more and let me get one blow or with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now listen, we don't pray and repent in order that God would allow us to get revenge. And that was not really at the heart of what Samson was talking about here because look at this next passage of scripture. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. There's a pillar here, there's a pillar there. And it holds up the Colosseum where they are. It's an overflow crowd. Over 3,000 people are even up on the roof to be able to see as Samson is the laughing stock and entertaining. But Samson gets up, he puts one hand on one pillar, one hand on the other. And he said, God, give me the strength to bring the kingdom of the Philistines down for your glory. And I want you to notice what happens next. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Now, let me tell you what he's not doing. He's not committing suicide like a lot of people will say. But he is the instrument of God's judgment on these Philistines. 
And he said this, he said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Do not overlook this last statement. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Let me tell you what Holy Spirit said to me when I saw that statement. The giants in your life or the giant in your life will always be there as long as you live for yourself. It's only when you die to yourself. Because in your dying to yourself, then what has tried to destroy you, those Goliaths in your life, I love that. Thus, he killed many more when he died than when he lived. In other words, victory comes when you die to yourself. When you, like Samson took that Nazarite vow, when you, when you say to God, God, I'm yours, I'm all yours, 100% yours, God, I don't want you just to work through me. I don't want people to be able to look at me and say, wow, man, look at what God's doing through his life or through her life. No, God, I want you to work in me to be the man, to be the woman, to be the husband, the wife, the father, the mother, God, that you have called me to be. And you will kill many more when you die to yourself than you ever could while you're still living for your flesh and for yourself. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.